0: All of us are on a journey of becoming, a never-ending journey in pursuit of truth and deeper union with the divine. Many of you know that faith is a complicated thing and that our journey of becoming can be both difficult and painful. Far too often, we have not been given a space where we can safely address the complications and issues that arise naturally. My name is Joshua Patterson. My good friend Greg Fern and I are also on this journey of becoming. We are both dedicated to inviting you into our journeys and creating a space where questions and critical thinking are welcome. We want to take an honest look at the issues and questions so common to this shared journey that we all find ourselves on. We want to genuinely seek out what it means to follow Jesus in our ever changing world, in our unfolding and expanding universe and in our pluralistic society. We have come to know that doubt is not the enemy of faith, but rather that both doubt and curiosity are two of our biggest allies. We have learned that the Christian faith is more about wisdom and love than it is about correct doctrine or belief. And we believe that we are being invited to continually seek out both wisdom and love, renewing our minds, expanding our hearts, and rethinking our faith, In the process, thank you for joining us on that journey. Oh my goodness, I don't even know how podcasting works anymore. Uh, welcome back. Welcome to I don't know, welcome to Rethinking Faith. (laughs) Uh, it's the first time that I have sat in front of a microphone to record specifically for this podcast. Uh, In a few months. And it's pretty crazy. I'm excited to be back though. So thank you guys for hanging out and sticking with me uh, while I disappeared for a little bit. It was uh, much needed. But now I am back very excited uh, and have some fun stuff in store for Rethinking Faith. Um, For starters, some of you have seen if you pay attention on social media, that there is a new co host now. So you no longer just have to listen to me ramble by myself and say outlandish things. Now I have somebody who also can say outlandish things with me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if you guys have been listening to the podcast for any uh, extended period of time, the um, new co-host is a former guest. He's been on twice. We did one episode about uh, deep knowing and our own inner spiritual journey. And also we did an episode about how Buddhism makes us better Christians. And so welcome officially for your first time as co-host of Rethinking Faith, Greg Farron. Greg, what is up, dude?
1: Hey, man, I'm so excited to be here. This is just, I think this is going to be a total blast. And uh, I just love what you've been doing. And I'm excited to see where things grow and evolve from here, man. This is a good space. It's a good space.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm excited. Um... I'm actually really excited because I don't know. So I missed podcasting a lot. Like, I think I I've shared with you, uh, off air, so to speak, but at the same time, it's been like very healing and helpful for me. Like I just needed to step away and not do it for a little bit, um, which was really helpful. And I've been doing like therapy, but like more intense therapy, like, um, seeing my therapist more often, um, working through stuff that was really helpful. and. Um, I just wanted to get to a space where I felt like um, I could talk on a microphone again in a way that was healthy to myself, um, but also healthy for other people, you know? Um, So I'm excited about that. And then also I'm excited because uh, I, one of the reasons I wanted to step away is because like, I felt like rethinking faith was kind of losing direction. Um, Like I didn't really know what rethinking faith was. It felt, um, different than when it first started um which is true it used to be theology doesn't suck uh with my friend Andy um and that was a very different thing like the first 30 episodes of the show are very different than the next however many came after that a hundred some that I did with Marty um and then I was by myself for a little bit and yeah so the show's definitely evolved um, but I wanted I felt like it was going in a more like uh holistic direction um Mm -hmm. where it wasn't just uh intellectual like head nerdy stuff although i love doing that um but also i was trying to integrate more like uh heart uh into the podcast and also like Mm -hmm. deeper knowing like we had talked about when you were before so i when i was thinking about that i was like man greg has been such a fun guest and like such a good friend that I think we could do some really cool stuff and you just felt like the natural person to ask, <laughs> to come on to the podcast. I'm excited you're here.
1: Well, man, I'm excited too. And uh, when you asked, the funny thing was, uh, I mean, I just don't, uh, podcast was not on my, my radar, but it was a few weeks before you asked, I really started thinking, you know, it'd be really fun to co-host Rethinking Faith. And I just, but that's something that I would never bring up. I would never have the audacity To call you up and, and, and share that. But then when you called and asked, I was like, okay, there's, I think that's a part of a bigger flow. And, uh, and I love that idea of, you know, well, for years and years, I was a conservative Presbyterian. I was very much in my head and I was convinced if I just understood the Bible enough and doctrine enough, then I'd experienced life and transformation. But one thing I've learned is that, you know, information alone will never change us. And I could write dissertations on all my issues, on my shit, on my story and my parents and my mom issues and dad issues and all the things, but I didn't experience transformation. So a lot of my journey, especially now with uh, Second Breath, has been about uh what does it mean to have an embodied spirituality that's not just activating the brilliance of the mind but also the brilliance of the heart and the body and when all three of those things are in alignment then we do experience real change from the inside out and not just some head-based doctrinal systems that we can regurgitate uh, but actually uh, experience in our bodies uh, that many times our brains are attempting to catch up to but that that shift, and this is what I what, I, and I think you've been doing this. In fact, we've talked about it. I do think this direction you've been moving, in that you described as more holistic. I think is this invitation from uh, mere intellectual belief systems to inviting people to experience actual inner awareness and experience of the divine from the inside out. Um, and that, to me, is what life is all about. That's to me where we experience real richness of life. So I th- so I'm delighted to kind of flow into this unique season of the podcast, because it definitely resonates with my own journey and my own heart and vision for life.
0: Yeah, yeah, man, for sure. And I think um, I want to riff on something that you said, and then I want to invite you to uh, just kind of like give some background information and share as much or as little of your story um, that you want with our listeners, just so they can get to know you. Um, but something I that you said that like really stood out, I wrote it down. Um, And it's just something that has like become more and more and more and more obvious to me just over the years is that information does not bring transformation. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that was one of my biggest frustrations uh, when I was a pastor, um, but also even still now was just this like lack of transformation um, in myself first and foremost. (laughs) And, but then also in like, the uh christian church as a whole um mm-hmm. and i operated out of this idea like you were saying that if like if i only understood like all atonement theology properly and then if i understood <laughs> like soteriology and then my ecclesiology yeah. like if i got all the right answers then maybe yeah. transformation would happen and i you know spent this journey chasing and chasing and chasing and chasing all these ideas um and then I was like, this is just not fucking working. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I still, there's no transformation. There's no, um, there's no experience, you know, Right. experiential. um, uh, Like people always talked about this, like, you know, to use weird, like evangelical language, but like this, you know, relationship with God kind of thing, um, right. which can sound trite when you're just stuck in that head based space. But once you actually right. are able to open up and like, step into an experiential knowledge of the divine that's based, um, not just in the head, but also in the heart and in the body. That's where I've found transformation, um, has happened. And like, that's, you know, I could, you know, just talk a lot of crap about, um, other people and like break stuff down, which I've, I've done in the past. Um, (laughs) but I just kind of like got, I mean, this will sound judgmental, but I got like bored with that, like tired of it. Like, I don't want to, you know, whatever. Great. So like, I want to invite people rather into like this experiential embodied, like holistic faith um, that then if we have that grounded faith allows us to then question and talk about and, you know, whatever, mess with our beliefs. Cause I think the two are separate. Yeah. So
1: uh, right, right on, man. And one thing that you, that made you made me think of when you were just showing right there is, I, I do think that there is a, it's even a healthy season when we're beginning to deconstruct. And I know these are deconstruct, reconstruction, but I think we're limited in language, but I think there's a healthy dynamic when we begin to move away from an existing paradigm that no longer serves us kind of like it's, it's been this chrysalis that we've lived in, but if we stay in it for any longer, instead of helping us grow, it's going to suffocate us and kill us. And when we begin to bust out, there's usually a season where we're critical Uh, of the existing paradigm and that's, it's almost a necessary phase where we're beginning to move away from where we've been, but we don't quite know where we're going yet. Um, And some people get stuck there. Some people get stuck kind of rear facing, primarily uh, reacting to their previous stage of development, kind of with a critical nature. But to me, what I love about it, and I think, so there is a place to begin to have some healthy Awareness of some of the pitfalls or downsides of the previous lily pad of our evolutionary spiritual evolution. But I think what I love about this podcast is that the bulk of the energy goes towards what is coming up next, what is the new, what is the possible, um, and not just because um, it's easy just to sit around with friends and drink beer and talk shit, right? It's real easy and kind of fun to do, but what does it mean to actually begin to move proactively positively in the direction of what could be next? What's instead of just being led away from something by kind of a spear point, what's magnetically drawing us by its beauty. Um, and that's what I love to bring attention to, too, you know, all these these magnetic aspects of the spiritual journey that they're actually drawing us into something new and life-giving and refreshing. And, of course, anytime we have our next spiritual evolution, eventually that chrysalis will need to be bust out of, too. So it's a never-ending journey of growth, expansiveness, then all of a sudden it becomes confining again. But, I mean, I, th- I think that's the whole, the whole path, the whole journey.
0: Yeah, I think I, I agree with you. I think that's the whole thing. Um, and, like, that... Um like Richard Rohr, he has like this, he calls it like the wisdom pattern, order, disorder, reorder. Mm. Um, but it's not like just this one time, like you alluded to, it's not just like this one time thing that happens in life. Like, Oh, I did the disorder thing and now I'm reordered. Everything's great. I have it figured out. Um, right. nope, that, that disorders, but <laughs> <laughs> I come right it's back. Coming. Yeah, it's coming. And it's just a part of the, it's just a part of the journey. And so like, yeah. um, I've had to, um, Make peace with and like have compassion for previous versions of Josh. Um, I mean, even previous versions of Josh on this podcast, where it's like, Of course, that Josh like makes me cringe. (laughs) Like, I had said (laughs) stuff that it made me cringe, and like I used to like hate that, but no, I have to like, you know, just try to fully embrace that, have compassion, uh, transcend and include, and just continue that order, disorder, reorder, order, disorder, reorder process, um, and kind of be okay with that, and um hopefully invite people into it. Right. That's kind of what I, I feel like we do here. Um, But yeah, man, uh, do you want to like, I will just kind of step away from the mic and let you go as much or as little as you want, just to kind of give people your story, your background, and um, maybe I can ask some questions along the way. Sure. 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 Yeah. Well, maybe
1: start with where I am right now and then I can go back and kind of say how I got here, but excellent. Um. So I'm an Episcopal priest. Uh, I'm the executive director of Second Breath, which is a nonprofit focused on uh, this journey that we're talking about. How do we create space for people to experience authentic transformation from the inside out? We do a lot of spiritual practices, meditation, breath work, uh, and things that help us get embodied. Uh, we have curriculum and app all that sort of stuff. But and 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 probably people would say I'm even theologically even an envelope pusher within the Episcopal fold, which is an envelope pusher within the large denominational fold. Um, sometimes I can say, you know, I, I even struggle sometimes with uh, with the Christian root structure. I've got a real love-hate relationship with the church, um, and that remains to this day. I can't tell you how many times I've said I'm never going to work in the church again. Lo and behold, I end up, but so I'm scared to say it now. Um, but it started way back in 1972. <laughs> I go back, but I'm not, I'm not going to go year by year. But uh, 72, I was born in Baltimore, and before I was one, my family, we moved to Japan, and I ended up growing up mainly in Asia, in Japan and Taiwan, um, which was the real uh, gift, and I'm excited that that's a part of my story, but at the same time, it's a, they're called third culture kids where you're raised uh, in other countries, um, but you're not of that country, uh, but you also haven't lived in your country, so you don't know the rules of the United States. And I remember when I came back to the States when I was in the sixth grade and sixth grade is about that age where you begin to wake up, you know, where you begin to stop identifying with your parents and you begin to cons- be consumed with what your peers consider and think. And so I remember, I don't think I, I don't think I told this story, but I was, it was my first day in the sixth grade. I had just moved back to America. And what I didn't know was that the trends in Taiwan where I'd been living were about 10 years behind the States. So I showed up in 72. With like, this is, this is I, I, I should, I think I started, uh, this is 1981, maybe, 81. And I showed up in like OP shorts and like tube top so, colored rim tube tops that were up around my, over my knees and like wristbands. And I was still like taking a bath twice a week instead of a shower every day. And my hair was all over the place. And I get on the bus. And as soon as I get on the bus, I was so excited. I was so confident. And as soon as I got on the bus... It was like those old Westerns where like all the talking stopped, like everybody, everybody on the bus went silent. And I looked and so and I a I was a new kid, but b was also my parents. But I looked and everyone was like, clearly they were wearing like corduroys and eyes, you know, button down the cost shirts and clearly they gelled their hair that day. And I remember this one kid, uh, he yelled out from the back of the bus, what's wrong with your hair? And everybody started laughing. And I remember I was like, you know what? I meant it to be this way, but I sat down. I was red faced. I sat down and made myself as small as possible. And I remember I went home that day to my mom and I was like, we're going to the stores right now. I need to buy corduroy pants. I need to buy button down shirts. I need to get hair gel. And it was really me desperately attempting to fit in. But that since that day, the sixth grade, pretty much all the way through high school, there's not a single day where I felt like I fit in. I always felt like this outsider. Um, trying to fit in, trying desperately to fit in, and and I was pretty good at being a chameleon, but there was always so even if I did fit in and was accepted by people, I didn't feel really connected, um, and that led to uh, and we my we would my parents were, we would occasionally go to the Episcopal Church at that point they kind of looked it up and we would go to the Episcopal Church on occasion, um, but I was certainly I consider myself an atheist, and uh, I remember by the time I was a senior in high school. It was just profound dissonance between my external life, which kind of looked I had the girlfriend, I played lacrosse. This is in Maryland, and you're stomping was Josh. It was in, you know, played lacrosse. It looked good on the ass, but inwardly I was just absolutely dying. And I was numbing out mainly. I was just getting like drunk and high every single night. And um, just by myself at home and just to numb the pain. And by my senior year, I remember. Uh, I remember this actually, I remember the day it was a lacrosse party. It was February 3rd of 1990. And I went in and I was drunk and I went into a room with my girlfriend. Cause I thought, of course, you know, I was kind of like, whatever, I'm going to feed whatever impulse I have. That's going to give me life. But I was just going to go hook up with my girlfriend. And I realized like I walked in that room and I had zero desire to be with her zero desire to do anything. All of these things I'd been pursuing to make me happy and give me life were dead ends and I remember I just fell into this deep despair and I went over to the keg and I put the keg tap in my mouth and turned it on. And I just was drinking, 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 I was just gonna, and I remember a buddy of mine picked me up and uh, dropped me off at home. And that was a Saturday night, February 3rd of 1990. And then that Sunday, February 4th, I was figuring out ways I was gonna end my life. Cause I just thought, I didn't know, I didn't know Jean-Paul Sartre at the time, but he talks about, you know, that man is a useless passion you know, we're living in a world without meaning. And of course I think that's the experience of a lot of humanity. Um, and so I just, had all this passion and it seemed completely meaningless and I did not want to continue living. And then the next morning, February 5th, it was a Monday morning. And the guy that dropped me off at my house when I was so wasted at that party on Saturday, his name was Kevin. And I think I did mention Kevin on the first time I was on, but Kevin, uh, he was he was a Christian, but not like in the Bible Belt sense. You know, he was a he was a Christian that was just a really a kind, genuine person that even he was there for me all the time, even when I would get in fights every weekend at parties, he was still nice to me on Monday morning at school, always just so full of kindness. And, and he said that morning, hey, Greg, I want you to know that I'm praying for you. I was like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, that's the weirdest thing to say to someone in high school, especially in Maryland. Like, it's just you don't say that to somebody. I was like, dude, what does that even mean? And he started sharing with me about his experience of the divine. And and I remember, I was just like, well, that's not my experience, man. I just think there is no God. and uh, oh, In fact, my experience, it just feels like there's this dark roiling cloud over my head as far as the eye can see. And uh, it's boiling and dark and I feel oppressed and depressed. And he just kept sharing, honestly, about his own experience with the divine. And it's completely non, he wasn't trying to sell me anything. Uh, he just was sharing his genuine experience and he, and he cared about me as a good friend. And I don't know what happened. Like one second, I did not believe in God. I thought that that was a crutch for the week. And the next second I had this experience where I knew there was a God, uh, and that this God was, it was almost like that dark cloud that I described to my friend, Kevin. It was like this corner of the dark cloud got lifted. And I saw this drop of blue sky. And it was like the most beautiful thing i would ever seen in my life. And I realized like every time I'd been hooking up with a girl, every time I'd done a drug, anytime I just followed some impulse that that th- those might be little cups or buckets, but this blue sky was the source, was the well, this was the wellspring of, of all of life. And so I, like a good addict, I went after that uh, blue sky with everything in me. Uh, I was so passionate about it. And one thing I realized was, you know, a lot of people talk about for these really profound conversion experiences that i and I'm not seeing the studies myself, but this certainly resonates on a personal level that there's, if, if you don't really have a real sense of attachment growing up, if you've not felt a sense of connectivity with your family uh, or your community, and you've felt kind of like a boat on the waves without that's, that's anchorless that a lot of people that have really technicolor uh, conversion experiences, it's their first experience with attachment. Um, it's, it's a first moment of feeling that you're not alone on a, on a uh, ontological level, on a, on a level of being. And, and that certainly resonates with my experience because I was so, this was the most gorgeous thing that I'd ever felt or experienced. And I was like, I, I, I need more of this. And I was terrified I'd lose it. So I went after it like 110 miles an hour, man. I became uh, shortly after that, I graduated high school and moved to North Carolina, which is in the Bible Belt, uh, for college. And and that's where there's lots of evangelical churches. And And then I, my life was kind of a shit show right then. It felt so chaotic. And I heard this expression or articulation of Christian spirituality, which is, look, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Uh, this is the devil's territory. But if you believe in Jesus, your sins are forgiven. And you get to go and be in heaven for all eternity. And your main job is to get other people to believe like you so that they can go to heaven and i was like that is like that is workable like that is it's so simple it's so contained my job is so clear uh that that's what i did you know full stop i'd get up every morning and have these quiet times you know sitting on the 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 little campus golf course you know and most of my hours and hours of quiet time and study and prayer were born out of my terror that i was going to lose my connection with the divine and fall back into that place of wanting to commit suicide so i was really driven um, and of course, people observe that, and they just thought I was the man in these little uh, evangelical subcultural groups and campus ministries. And I would always be down on the the campus, you know, evangelizing, trying to convert people uh, left and right, trying to get them to say this, the sinner's prayer with me. And um, I mean, I was passionate. And that the the exhaustion of that, though, it's really hard to. And that's that's like a you know fifth gear. You're like you're in fifth gear at like ten thousand RPMs, and it begins to wear on you. And then uh, somebody gave me a book by Martin Luther. This was, I think, my sophomore year, maybe my junior year, where he was he was some of his sermons on the book of Galatians. And he talked about this passive righteousness, that, that we don't have to earn God's approval or favor, but that this righteousness of Christ, like the, like the earth receives the rain. So we receive this passive righteousness. And it was this option of being able to just be and rest, that was so refreshing to me. So then I went full bore into reformed theology. Like once I got Luther, a taste of Luther, then I was all about John Calvin. And I mean, I just dove fully into it. And so then I became hardcore, intense reformed. Um, and I was a five point Calvinist. I mean, I, I dove. That's my, ten, my my personality is, you know, 110 miles an hour into whatever it is there. That's tempered a little bit now that I'm 50. But especially when I was younger, it was kind of this binary dualistic passion I'm in. So I, I got connected with a reformed Presbyterian missions group. And when I graduated, I got married a week after graduation and we moved to Uganda, East Africa, where we were converting people uh, to this uh, reform gospel and uh, trying to get them saved. Uh, we were also doing community work and medical work and that kind of civil engineering, clean water. But my my work was the church planter. So we were there, ended up coming back to the States after a couple of years. Uh, and I went to Reformed Theological Seminary and worked at a a PCA church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and that I was working full-time at the church uh, doing college ministry, and during that time, I was going part-time to seminary at RTS, Reformed Theological Seminary, and took me about five and a half years, Uh, and then once I was graduated, I was ordained in the PCA, and uh, they sent me off to Greensboro, North Carolina to plant a church, and Greensboro is where I did undergrad, and so I came back here, and we started with ten people in the living room, and it grew to a few hundred people, um, which in the Bible Belt is more normative. A few hundred people—I know if you're up in out west or up in New England, a few hundred people is stellar, but that's pretty standard numbers down here in the Bible Belt, and because um, it's still kind of a part of culture, it's decreasingly—it's less so, but than it was. So, but after about. Uh, I remember there's a few incidents ha- that happened there where I really felt like this, because I believe that, like you were saying earlier, if I could just articulate the gospel clearly enough, and if I could understand it and articulate it clearly enough that the people would change, the community would change, the world would change. And it just wasn't happening. It just wasn't happening. Um, and I wasn't changing. I was getting more and more depressed. You know, I was not this, 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 I've come to bring a life an abundant life you know that jesus talked about i was experiencing the opposite of that uh is that if we follow in these footsteps that this would happen it didn't feel like that at all um it was really stressing out uh my marriage it was stressing out, my parenting out. We had three boys at that point and there was a few other things that happened during that time where first of all it just wasn't bringing life uh, second of all it was so restrictive we didn't ordain the pca doesn't ordain women elders or pastors it's also um believes that uh, LGBTQ is, uh, sinful. Um, and they, they might, we're going to dance for Like I, when I was in it, I would kind of dance around it and say, it's okay that you have these feelings, but it's okay to be gay, but just don't have, you can't be in a relationship with someone. Oh my God, the audacity. But that was the position. Um, and so, uh, Anyway, but some of those issues started coming up in terms of it didn't make sense to me that women couldn't be ordained, and I realized I never really studied it or explored it. And LGBTQ, we had some uh, gay couples that came in that really felt loved by our community, but we kind of were acting, existing in a don't ask, don't tell uh, kind of thing. And then after they'd been there for a while and felt so loved, they found out that the church, the the denomination was anti-LGBTQ, and they were so crushed. They were so devastated. That this loving community at, at heart was saying we don't really support your relationship uh and we think you're living in sin and so when i saw like when i saw the the hurt being done to women when i saw the hurt being done to the lgbtq community and then i also saw that this information-based spirituality was not transformational in nature it just really got me wrestling with what is what's my criteria for evaluating what is true and i realized i've kind of I've given all the power to define my reality to this external f- framework of reform theology that has just historically evolved from the Reformation up through Scotland. And then it's basically a, a lot of white m- men in power, again, that have determined what this external framework of belief is. And I realized like I wouldn't listen to my heart. My heart was saying, this woman, of course, this woman should be ordained, or of course I should marry this gay couple. You know, if you've got two people that love each other and are trying to figure out what it means to grow in vulnerability, then I want to do everything in my power to support them in my heart. But my system said that I was being corrupted by the liberal world, and I couldn't listen to my heart, and I need to subject my heart underneath the external framework of their interpretation of the Bible. And so once I realized, like, when did I give this power away? When did I give this power for defining a reality to this external framework that is so tiny even historically, rationally, it's a puny system. And and I've allowed it to dictate my entire worldview. And once I recognized that I started asking the question, okay, what is my criteria? What is my epistemology? My criteria for evaluating what is true. And I started seeing a spiritual director. I was going to therapy and I was doing a lot of meditation and centering prayer and spiritual practice during that time is when i really started actually trusting my heart like that the king the kingdom of god is within and actually started experiencing that from the inside out and so people so i left that church and it was a tough choice to leave that church because i had two kids in private school at the time that were really expensive had really good benefits this was my community but once it was this time where there was so much. Now once I made that shift in soteriology, which sounds heady, but it's much more on the body level. Once I shifted to say, what 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 system is defining my perception of reality and actually allowing my heart to have the greatest say in that, um, I, I my theology, my worldview shifted radically, very quickly, um, and I could not, with any integrity, stay within this denomination and within this, this church. So. Uh, I left, we left that. Um, and I had about six months worth of savings saved up to cover the bills. And, and it was a decision to leave that was born out of desperation, out of fear, out of faith, out of hope, out of longing. Um, and I remember I quit and had no idea what was coming up next. And it was terrifying. I just, we, we, I just would watch the savings account drain, 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 and not sure what was next. Uh, but it was in that season where again, things just, really evolved. And I f- you found out about or had been a part of second breath and uh, and second breath was hosted at an Episcopal church in Greensboro. And so it ended up leading to me being offered a small contract uh, to do some work at the Episcopal church. And, and again, at that point I said, I'm never working in the church again. uh, And I ended up being falling in love uh, with this particular Episcopal church and f- absolutely falling in love with second breath because It was articulating this fresh expansive welcoming christian spirituality that was actually resonant with tradition and resonant with science uh with you know biology and and physics and neuroscience and uh and on top of that it was just they offered just you know thousands of spiritual practices which is where to me the rubber meets the road in terms of shifting from intellectual systems to inner experience and so through that uh ended up getting ordained as an episcopal priest And after being there for about 10 years, serving this Episcopal church, the opportunity came up for me to become the uh, executive director of Second Breath. And now this is this whole work is I just want it. It's been so transformational in my life to this experience again, just from mere doctrinal systems to growing an actual experience of, of my true self, of an experience of the divine from the inside out and, and seeing, and then I'm actually seeing my compassion and love for myself and others blossoming and growing like this description of the fruit of the spirit that I sang about, you know, uh, that was just the distant concepts actually begins to describe the inner landscape where you actually are feeling love joy and peace. Uh, and I'm also, and I would also th- say this, um, along with a greater capacity for experiencing joy, uh, I've also got a much greater capacity for experiencing loneliness and pain. Um, that it almost is like the bandwidth capacity. As I'm as much as I want to open to joy and peace and kindness, congruent in that bandwidth on the other side of that spectrum are loneliness and pain and sadness. Um, and I, I wish that I, you know, sometimes I wish that I could just have the happy side of the bandwidth but that's not the way it works. So when we talk about fullness of life to me, I mean, that's the full expression of the human experience. Um, and that to me is what I get to do. I get to invite people. Uh, we we're, we're committed to creating sacred spaces, uh, where people can genuinely feel connected, seen, experienced, and explore who they are, their unique way of being in the world to make their unique impact. Um, it's just my passion. And that's why to me, when, and that And and I I look at other groups that are doing that and it's like, they're surfing the same wave and, and rethinking faith has been surfing that same wave. And it was clear to me on the times I was on the podcast before, and then all the months of our long phone conversations and building our friendship and hanging out that it was, there was such congruence in our particular wave that we were surfing in terms of our longing for inner transformation and outer impact and how that flows and evolves. That to me is why when you invited me to come on Rethinking Faith, it was a, it was a no-brainer for me. Uh, normally, for anything that large, I'd take quite a bit of time to pause and reflect. But that one was right there in my gut as soon as you asked. And I think it's because what you've been doing with Rethinking Faith is so resonant with the heart of my own journey and what we do at Second Breath. So that that's kind of how it evolved. So that's it in a very, very large nutshell. That's 50 years in 50 minutes. I don't know how long I was talking, but it felt like a while. No, that's my that's my story man in a nutshell
0: <laughs> no i dig it man thank you for sharing um i appreciate it. i i wrote some some things down that i want to like ask you about in your story uh one of them though is like completely well like it matters but also it, it doesn't um so the church you worked at in Winsom salem what was yeah. it what was the name of it
1: redeemer yeah. presbyterian church okay. redeemer presbyterian it was a uh, in Hardmore, sweet people and they they did love me so well it it was it was a
0: lovely lily pad on my journey nice because i was going to just like be weirded out i know um my friend uh dr jace broadhurst is pastoring i think it's just called first pres in um winsome salem now which is like a like an eco presbyterian church um yeah or whatever so I was like, that yeah. would be very strange.
1: <laughs> that, that was the one we we had, we, the, I was doing college ministry and and they were the other most competitive college ministry. And that's how I viewed it. The most competitive other college ministry down <laughs> at first press.
0: <laughs> nice. Nice. Oh man. But yeah. So I think um, I, I had two things I wanted to ask you about, but one thing that just kind of really um, like resonated deeply with me when you were speaking is just this idea of, um being able to have a greater bandwidth for both the positive and also negative, um, emotions Mm -hmm. in life. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important. Um, that's something that I've been learning and that's something that actually, uh, like a lot of my, like, um, like Buddhist practices, um, has been really helping, uh, helping me with that. Um, yeah. But specifically I just, I've noticed and like, um, I'm stealing this language from Rob Bell, uh, because I think he just put it so um, nicely, but basically he talked about how like joy um, holds all of those emotions together. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it's like he talks about like almost like imagine like a shelf. like your heart has like a shelf. And on on that shelf, um you have you can have like immense pain and immense happiness sitting next mm. to each other like seemingly mm. paradoxically but like joy allows you to hold both of those um in a way that honors both of them and fully accepts them for what they are and i think that um that's so important and i know that's something that i personally have had to work on cuz i'm very good at feeling happy i like yeah. happy emotions but i avoid uh negative ones and yeah. try to find ways to escape them and stuff like that so that's been an important part of my own Journey is trying to learn to hold that.
1: That 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 distinction is so huge, and I think that's actually one that needs to be overtly talked about repeatedly, especially in traditions that uh, tend to be more mystical or practice based or embodied. That you know, so when I was young, and the reason I drank and was doing drugs is because I was in so much pain. I was looking to feel better. I wanted to escape it. And I, I took that exact same dynamic and applied it to my spirituality. And, and what I really believed was if I cultivated a vibrant spirituality, then I would be able to get out of my pain uh, out of this, this human sinful human condition uh, and into light and life and joy and happiness. And joy to me did not have that nuanced definition of Rabel. Joy to me was just the good side of the bandwidth. And I even found, even as I got into spiritual practices and breath work and meditation, that I I kind of use them almost as drugs for a long time to cultivate this, what I describe now as a pseudo equanimity, um, a pseudo inner equanimity where it, it does give you the capacity. Like I can do, I mean, I've done so much uh, centering prayer and so much breath work that I can almost click into an altered state where I don't feel bad. Um, but what I found was I was, almost using that in the same way that i was using cocaine um uh, because what i was it was escapist in nature um and so it was a real sh- and then and then once i realized that it i almost wanted to eject all my practices i threw the baby out with the bathwater for a while because i was like i'm gonna feel my stuff now and i was really committed to feeling my feelings and i still am but i had to it, it's been a journey of really approaching spiritual practices and meditation with a new lens that it really is a capacity of being open to all and welcoming whatever arises and not trying to shove away repress uh, any of it uh, but really allow myself to feel my feelings because I do think even in Buddhist, Western Buddhist circles and uh, Eastern uh, Christian approach to spirituality I think that it's very subtle but I would be so applauded in so many circles for my pseudo-equanimity um, and and I really think it's dangerous. I, what I do think, I think it just profoundly limits the human experience. And it certainly is not the fullness of life that Jesus embodied and taught. Um, and so so to me, this I think it's an important point that needs to be repeated.
0: Yeah, and I um, I think, too, a lot of times, um, well, I guess, you know, when we say Buddhism, there's, you know, so, so many different forms so many. of Buddhism. In the same so way, many. like when you say Christian, you're like, Christian, okay, well, you million. very have to define what you mean by that. But like within the kind of like Buddhist practice, I found helpful specifically um, the teachings of uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, um, who Mm. recently passed away. But one thing that he did that was helpful for me is um, there's often this uh, misconception, or maybe it's a a fair conception, depending on what form of Buddhism you're looking at, that like you just completely are supposed to detach yourself from all feeling and that kind of stuff. And even though that word detachment gets used. That's they don't mean <laughs> they don't mean right. ignoring them or or not feeling them. Instead, it's actually mm. the it's the exact opposite. Um, mm-hmm. When they say detachment, all they're all they're saying is like, just recognize that you are not your emotions. You are not mm-hmm. your thoughts. You're not your feelings. That's all they're trying to say. Um, mm-hmm. But then Thich Han with things like um, pain and suffering actually talks about the importance of understanding. Seeking to understand because understanding can bring compassion and we need to have compassion uh, for ourselves. And then in turn, we can have compassion for others. So when we have uh, these negative experiences, uh, like anger, for example, um, instead of me just being like, ah, man, I'm like so freaking angry, blah, blah, blah trying to um, step into that place of quote unquote detachment, the, you know, the part of you that can observe you, Right. Mm -hmm. The the knower, the knower behind your knowing, step into that space and say, okay, Josh is currently experiencing anger. That's how so I'll talk to myself though, which sounds weird, but Josh is currently experiencing anger. Okay, Josh, why are you experiencing anger? And then Tik Not Han talks about uh holding our negative emotions and embracing them the same way that like a loving mother would like nurture a screaming child. Mm. And so like Mm. holding our anger um Mm -hmm. accepting it seeing it for what it is and like you know seeking to understand and then to bring compassion um and that i think that's so important that's been something that you know i've been working on in like holding those you know positive negative feelings because you can do with your positive feelings too you know (laughs) josh is currently experiencing happiness why um why are you happy so i think that's um yeah, that, that's an important That's, that's a very
1: helpful distinction, really helpful. And sometimes it's incredibly challenging to do that when I have uh, days and days of every minute it rises up, sadness or loneliness or, so, you know, that's it's, it's one thing when it's just momentary, you know, but sometimes with these things that, of welcoming them over time um, and really welcoming it, uh, is, it's really a lot of work, it's challenging, but I think that is the critical nature of healthy spirituality. That's a really good distinction.
0: Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Sweet. Well, um, so to, well, here, first I'll say this, because you have said it more than once, but you talked about like, whenever you say never, you're never going to work in a church again, you end up working in a church again, which means I need to stop saying that because I say I'm never going to work in a church again all the time. <laughs> well, sometimes and, it's true. <laughs> right. Sometimes it's true, but like, I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, take the risk at this point. That's um, right. That's <laughs> but i remember uh so you were talking about early on in your story um this idea of uh just in like social circles uh fitting in and like wanting to fit in and be a chameleon and i remember that was something uh in my own faith journey that i was good at too i could i was good at fitting into like whatever um environment i was in so like i knew Reformed theology well enough that if I was talking to Calvinists, I could convince them I was a Calvinist. You know what I mean? Even though right. I wasn't. Yep. So I could like true. fit into that. Um, but like it was interesting because it it felt like though um the seeking to fit in was at the cost of being true to myself. And you talked about this like internal and external alignment, um, which you and I yeah. have talked about before. But that was like, I think that ties in there, that fitting in. That was one of the the most difficult things for me as a pastor was like my internal and external alignment felt off. They weren't, they weren't in cohesion. And so like Mm
1: -hmm.
0: part of my spiritual journey has been trying to constantly make sure that the internal and external are in alignment with one another, uh, which is difficult. And it leads you into a lot of really scary places, um, But I was just wondering, like, what your experience with something like that has been, or if you have any any comments on that.
1: Yeah, you know, there's some people, I mean, I've heard some people interviewed on your show, people, I remember distinctly Philip Shepard, who is also a friend of mine, and he's kind of my uh, embodiment Jedi Master Guru, um, but He In his story, he talked about like at 15, he was already feeling like such an oddball, but he had such a secure sense of identity that he didn't care whether on real levels, how much his peers liked him. Like, and I remember talking with him. I was like, dude, you had that at 15. Like you had a secure sense of identity at 15. Like, I don't think I had that until I was well into my 30s. Like, honestly, like. Uh, So, so in in some level, I do think it's a very natural developmental process and progress for us to shift from identifying with our family to identifying with our peers. And during that's why middle school is so painful for everybody, because our identity is externalized and it's a boat on the waves and whatever comment some other 12 year old is going to say to us. And it's such a brutal season until we begin to have an inner sense of security. Um, And there's some people that never get that. Uh, that there are people in their 70s and 80s that still feel as fragile and as needy as a, a middle schooler. Um, some people have that sense of identity maybe because of attachment or some, some whatever it is when they're 12. You know, um, f- for me, I don't feel like I really had, uh, and maybe it was because of growing up overseas and not really having a sense of where I belonged. Uh, it probably really wasn't until I was in my mid 30s uh, that. I, and and really i think it was in that time of of identifying that i had externalized my lens on life my framework of defining reality to this denomination and allow that to determine everything for me and really i would say I, in one sense i didn't trust myself i didn't know myself or trust my own voice truly until I was probably in my mid 30s um and and then since then it's been the last 15 years of really developing that and then but i do believe this that you know, Richard Rohr talks about the, that book, Falling Upward, Spirituality for the Two Halves of Life. Of course, the two halves of life, it could be the second half could start when you're a teenager, depending on your upbringing, right? It's, uh, Or it could be like for me when I'm almost having my midlife crisis in my mid-late thirties. and uh, but, but I think it's where we begin to shift from looking for life externally uh, and trying to build that kind of this egoic container that can hold our success. That's very healthy in terms of our development to actually saying, Okay, I'm no, I can begin to cultivate this inwardly and begin to trust my own voice. and And that's what I think, and that's what the world needs. And we've talked about this, Josh, with, you know, it's it's really easy to primarily focus our energy on quoting other people that have really said it well. But what the world really needs is to hear what Josh Patterson authentically thinks from the inside out and what I think. And the world needs us to be us. We don't need another Rob Bell or C.s. Lewis or Mother Teresa. Or Philip Shepard, what we need is for us to be uniquely ourselves. And when we have the courage and security to allow ourselves to be true, uh, first of all, it's not going to be super popular, most likely. You're going to experience rejection from other communities because especially more conservative communities demand um, uniformity um, and they don't want you to rock the boat. But if we do have the courage to say what we really believe and follow our hearts in that way, I think that is when we are leaning into the full potential of our being in the, the imago Dei, the image of God and being ourselves. Um, but And the only thing that's got me there is spiritual practice. It's, it's not more thinking. more. I appreciate therapy. I love therapy. There's a good place for cognitive therapy. But the place that's actually brought the most to life or spiritual practices that have allowed me on a body level from instead of starting with my head working down to my heart and landing in my body I've started I've started with my body and then it works its way up to my heart and then my head follows um and that to me is where I've discovered more and more who I really am and I don't think that stops I mean I'm 50 years old and I feel like I'm just at the tip of the iceberg of self-discovery and trusting my voice and leaning into it like the adventure continues
0: yeah and that's like that's been the major shift for me Um trying to learn to do that and live from that that space. Um because I think the identity thing was huge. I mean I've said this on the show a million times, but um just in case someone's listening for the first time today, I'll share it. Uh when I used to be a pastor and perhaps it might be worth even sharing just my story as well, um, just for mm-hmm. any new listeners, but I used to, so I used to be a pastor as you know Greg. And when I was a pastor, um I had my identity um I conflated my identity with my uh, vocation, mm. with pastor. Mm-hmm. Like sure. who Josh was, it was pastor.
1: Yeah.
0: And when I was having all these issues and like felt like I couldn't actually be a pastor, it caused so much cognitive dissonance because the thing, the identity that I had built and conflated um, with who I actually was, was not mm-hmm. congruent with my inner experience. And so it caused like so much tension and issue. And so like spiritual direction is what actually helped me separate from that. Mm. And then I've just come to realize like that, like pastor was just, it's just a stream I can step into. Mm. Um, It's like a hat that I can put on. Uh, And which is helpful because like recently uh, I spoke like at a high school retreat (laughs) for a week I was so freaking terrified to do that, but it I was able to step into that stream, not identifying myself as pastor, but fully being able to to show up present as Josh um, Mm -hmm. and living and talking out of my genuine experience, speaking from the heart and, um, you know, from a more holistic perspective. And I loved it. Um, Mm -hmm. It was a fantastic experience. It was the first time I felt like I was playing the pastor role, but in a way that was actually genuine and true and authentic to myself. And um, finding finding that's been huge. And like the spiritual practices like you're talking about, that's been the thing for me. Um, because, and I guess this is the trouble with the mystics, right? We can never like find words to describe um, <laughs> experience because right. it's just hard. So you just try and then the people will, Maybe we will get it, but a lot of people just misunderstand you. Um, But what I've found with spiritual uh, practice, like specifically I do like a lot of like centering prayer and uh, some breath work, Um, you know, nothing too crazy, is that I've cultivated this experiential knowledge of God that lives in my heart and my body and not just in my head. And Mm -hmm. what that has done is that's when I use the word faith, that's what I mean is when I talk about faith and belief being different, my faith is built on this experiential reality of the divine that I have, um, mm-hmm. that I can't deny, if that makes sense, because it's, mm-hmm. it's, I, I can feel it. Um, and then belief are then my ideas, right? Mm-hmm. And so having that secure attachment with the divine that I cultivated through spiritual practice through this experiential knowing um, and learning and getting to know the divine and you know, who the divine is um, has built that secure attachment that then leads to freedom, which is what Jesus talked about (laughs) Mm -hmm. and like our beliefs and doing the things that we do. Like, that's why I'm content right now being a brewer. Um, I struggle with it sometimes I've I've talked about it recently sure. on a podcast where I'm like, man, I'm just like a used to be a pastor, and I'm a brewer, I'm a piece of shit. But that's on my bad <laughs> days, right? Um, I, th-
1: I think it's the other way, but I think I think that's an upgrade.
0: <laughs> so like, um, but again, and I know I'm rambling, but from that place of secure attachment and deep knowing, I'm con I can be confident and be a brewer, but also I haven't put my identity in that, which is the first time I've had a job. Um where my identity wasn't wrapped up in it. It's so like brewing right now. The way I look at it is like, oh yeah, I love it. I think I'm good at it. Um, I enjoy doing it. I have a lot of fun at the place I work. Um, I really like beer. <laughs> and, uh, but also it's just like, it's just a stream that I can step into. It's like, mm. it's like the game that I'm playing right now. And yeah. probably some, someday that game will be over. Um, But instead of being, Like my identity is not tied in that. So I'm not going to be like distraught and torn, but it would rather be like, oh, well, look what I, look what I got to do. Remember when I got to be a brewer and I, you know, I had the privilege of having that experience. That was really fun. But I like, I wonder what the next game I get to play is. It's like that, um, that inner knowing and that um, deep experience of the divine opens you up for so much freedom in life. Not just like theologically, And intellectually, but like in your everyday doing, does that that make sense?
1: That makes total sense, man. And I love that. And and I think it's I think you're articulating a a healing of uh, stepping out and moving beyond uh, a repressed perception of purpose and calling. I remember, like for a long time, I thought, you know, you're called to be a pastor, or you're called to be a doctor, and it was like you're figuring out this tightrope. But I really do think that's that's such a restrictive, limiting understanding of of what our unique way of being. and I, and I really do think as we grow older, and what you discovered is that what you do externally is not the main thing, but it's you discovering your unique way of being in the world. What makes Josh uniquely josh? what what is the the unique ways that he reflects and refracts light and love and humor and? compassion and empathy that no one else has your unique matrix of all of those variables uh, in all of human history and as you actually trust your own voice and lean into your unique way of being, then that's going to flow out whether you are a brewer or a podcast host or a Walmart greeter or a pastor or a doctor or it just doesn't matter it's it's not the, the emphasis is not so much the external it is you leaning into trusting you and leaning into your unique way of being in the world that no one has ever given or received love in the way that you do. And so I think trusting that, um, and and trusting that's going to bubble out and overflow, whatever you're doing. I think that's a much more liberating understanding of, you know, making an art we talk about the inward journey a lot, but I think that's a very fresh and helpful way to think about the outward journey. Uh, it's not discovering, Oh, I'm supposed to become a doctor and I became a lawyer. So now I'm on God's plan B, but it's rather that, okay, I'm me wherever I go, whatever I do. And that can flow and bubble up. And, and I'm just going to follow whatever my heart's drawn to. Like this podcast, right? Like it was delight. I, I like I hadn't had the thought of ever doing a hosting, you know, co-hosting a podcast. And then a few weeks before you asked me, it starts bubbling up for me and my heart's drawn to it. And then the day you asked me, it was just like this total congruence. Like it was just, it, it fit. And, and so it was not a hes- big hesitation for me or needing time because it was so congruent with my own longings. And that's my hope on this podcast, right, is that we're not here to try to fix a damn thing, let alone fix ourselves or anybody else, uh, or bringing some wisdom down on, from on high, but the freedom of us just sharing authentically our journeys from where we are today. And no doubt in 10 years, if we go back and listen to this podcast, we're going to think, wow, we can really hear how limited we were even then, just like you do now listening to your original podcast but the freedom for us to live into where we are authentically today as best we can. I think that's a much more expressive way to live. And it's not like you're saying, it's not our identity. All these things we do, they're just, they, they they can't possibly be our identity because we're these unique, complex, energetic beings.
0: Yeah. It's uh, I don't know that that's been like a game changer for me. And just trying to like actually live into that, like, just being being me wherever i go uh and in whatever i do Mm. um and then yeah like you said separating um and like recognizing that that those external things aren't that's not who i am um Mm. that's just like a fun game that i get to play and uh (laughs) (laughs) i don't know that's how how i like to look at it uh nice yeah yeah so um Hmm. One thing that like one more thing that I wanted to comment on, um, just in your story that I thought was interesting. Um, and it's it's again a little bit about myself, um, is you talked about like using spirituality almost as like a like a coping mechanism or like a you know um like an escape. And yeah. I noticed that about myself uh a while ago, uh, when I was still working at um the previous church that I worked at, uh Noelle one day, so Noel is my wife, listeners, if uh, you're unaware. Uh, so Noelle one day asked me, I was like sitting at our kitchen table and I was reading um, some, you know, dense, boring theology book. <laughs> and uh, she asked me, she was like, what are you looking for? Like, what are you searching for? And I like just kind of was like, "What? like, what do you mean? That's a dumb question. Like, I'm just learning. I'm just learning theology, you know, Um, and I just kind of like wrote it off. But then that question actually like stuck with me um, enough that I remember it now. Right. And I'm telling a story about it. And uh, what I basically realized was um, I was using I was basically hiding um, in theology. Like I was using my study as a form of escape. Uh, to escape from like painful things or something like that. But also, also I was using my theology as a way to hide from God, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is very clever, you know, well done Josh on that one. Um, (laughs) But I was, I was using my study of theology to actually hide from an experiential knowledge of the divine because my concept of God was scary. And I was like, I don't want to know that dude.
1: Mm. Like
0: why the heck would I want to interact with him? That sounds terrible. Mm-hmm. Um and so then it was actually the gift of like that, you know, uh played out, ended up playing out positively though, because using my intellect was actually uh the way that I started to um allow myself to have my heart open. So mm-hmm. getting into open and relational theology, um and getting like a a better image of God here mm-hmm. in my mind, mm-hmm. um, in mm-hmm. my ideas, allowed me then to say, okay, maybe it is worth opening up and trying to experience this, you know, uh, experience the divine. And yeah. so that like, and then it was like game over after that. Um, wow. So it's like, yeah. yeah, it's it's so interesting the way the places we hide or the things that we use as escape or whatever.
1: It, it, like we have the capacity. I mean, that's that's just it in every, I mean, I do think, it, it, I, I use the term ego just in terms of it's a very human thing. We're never going to get rid of the ego and the ego is not a bad thing. I view it kind of like a, a four-year-old version of myself at the controls of a 747. It, it doesn't have the sophistication to pilot this machine, um, but it tries to endlessly. And so like that four-year-old can get a hold of all these tools, these beautiful things like spiritual practice, like theology. Uh, like anything, and it's going to uh, kind of i think misuse it. I would not even say corrupt it, but maybe that you could say corrupt it. but anytime the ego gets a hold of spirituality, it's going to turn it into a, div- a divisive tool or a uh, a tool for escape um, versus recognizing, okay, no, these that theology is at its core can be gorgeous in terms of exploring the mysteries of the universe and philosophy and theology. but Uh, and spiritual practice can be gorgeous but anything can be weaponized and um and ironically i weaponized spiritual practice against um feeling pain and uh and it numbed out life so i think yeah the same thing that you can you could use theology for hiding from god we can use spiritual practice uh, for hiding from reality
0: Yeah, yeah for sure which is the i don't know i think that temptation always uh like always kind of lives there like it's easy to um try to use spiritual practice to hide from the world uh yeah. when in reality i think spiritual practice actually should be used for the exact opposite reason yeah. to actually rather live a fully more embodied life uh a more present life in the world
1: <laughs> right
0: and and bring the gift that you have to give and um yeah, like like you said, the world doesn't need more uh, Rob Bell's or Richard Roars or Cynthia Bourgeau or you know right. whoever. The world needs people that are um, awakened, to use a woo woo turn, but awakened to the reality of who they truly are, um, and living from that place uh, confidently and boldly. Um, yeah, yeah, and just giving giving that gift that they have to the world. So hopefully um, this podcast is an example of that. Like here's, here's me trying it. And maybe you guys can try too. I don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's a, that
1: great quote from CS Lewis where, where he says that we read so that we know that we're not alone. And I, I think that uh, there's something about that. These authentic podcasts where, we're sharing, we're pulling back the curtains on our inner journeys and our own process. And it's, it's beauty, it's imperfection, it's down times, it's struggles that at the very, I think at the, the very primal connection point of identifying with someone else. And we hear that I know that's what happens when I listen to podcasts and I know that I'm not alone. And, and then that gives us the courage I think to know we have this part of this larger community and connected connection that we're a part of that gives us the courage to begin to take t- take on the next step. So I do think that is uh, it has been for me uh, listening to rethinking faith uh, over over all the times I've been listening to it. it it just helps me know that I'm not alone.
0: yeah, I think I think that's huge to um, on that as well to steal the the phrase and name of. Uh, our mutual friend Dan Koch's podcast, um, it gives people permission
1: yeah.
0: uh, to yep. ask questions, especially when you can um, just be honest with your own journey and experience and show people like, oh, yeah, like, I've been there, like done that it gives it gives people permission. And yep. they're like, oh, okay, so I am I'm allowed to do this? What? Yeah. Um, because <laughs> right. and the the silly thing is, is like, yes, of course. Like I, you know, it's not Josh giving you permission or Greg giving you permission. You already have had the permission the whole time. It's just like more so trying to point out, be like, see, like it's there. Of course you have permission, like go for it. It's okay. And uh, having other people who have been there, done that or are actively doing that with you. um,
1: Particularly in systems and especially I think in, uh, more evangelical traditions and conservative traditions where this system is built to prevent questioning. And if you question, there's a price to pay on so many levels. And so with the biggest one being that you could you're either lose your salvation or you're never really saved in the first place and you could go to conscious eternal torment. I mean, that's a bit of a motivator to not ask questions. and But as the internal dissonance begins to rise up so greatly that it can no longer function with your external world, that you... Than to have been be given permission to say, Oh my gosh, yeah, look, you're not the only one. Um, it's I, I still feel like when I had such a small, limited understanding of spirituality, to me, it was like living in a cave. And in this dark cave, people were saying, But this is the Taj Mahal. This is real. This is where real beauty is. And I remember that, man, they kept saying, If you leave this cave, you are really leaving God. You're leaving connection and intimacy. And then finally, getting permission from other people that had gone ahead of me. Uh, Brian McLaren was a huge person for me, kind of a bridge out of my cave and early on bridge out of my cave. And then, then you, then, then amazingly you walk out of the cave and you see the big, bright green world with blue sky and you realize God is so much bigger than I ever dare dream. And a God that I believe in my more conservative evangelical days is just so tiny. And I still have my friends that are living in that cave telling me that I have really lost my mind and that I should come back to the cave where things are the biggest and the most beautiful. Um, And then realizing, but now I, I couldn't in a million years. I can't, I, I've already jumped up the cliff. I can't go back. And I would never want to because my understanding now of the divine is so much more glorious and expansive and congruent with reality and congruent with my heart. Um, And I think, again, that's that's another piece of this podcast, right, is giving permission, creating space for permission for people to explore that way and hopefully discover and experience from the inside out, a a more expansive uh, God, a more loving, expansive experience of the divine.
0: Yeah, for sure. And it's like one of those things too that, like, once you once you see it, you can't unsee it. Mm -hmm. It's like the the way that I talk about it, Um, because it's difficult. Mm -hmm. Like when once once you're there, you can't, it's difficult to go back because it's like, why would you put yourself in a smaller box? Yeah. And like that box was helpful at the time until it wasn't
1: (laughs) right. Like the cocoon, right. It's the cocoon and it, right. It'll suffocate you if you stay.
0: Yeah. And so you have to, um, and that's like, I think that's a part of the process too. Like, that's why it's frustrating to me Although like this podcast definitely gets lumped into this this category, and I'm I'm okay with it because it, it it's helpful people in this regard. But like the whole like deconstruction thing. Right. Um I just I understand why we use that language and like it's language that I'm I'll use it because like I know what people mean by it. But what I think is so un- unfortunate and unhealthy, you see all this stuff popping up nowadays where um basically people are like fighting against it like oh you know deconstruction's bad this or that or whatever or then like the people who are deconstructing there's people who just like they just like go too hard with it uh that's not the right way to say it they tear down everything but basically all they're doing is moving from like a conservative to a progressive perspective and they're still remaining a fundamentalist they're just a fundamentalist Mm. on the other side of the on the other side of the aisle now the other side of the fence right and so like that's not helpful either but then like all this talk about like you know don't have deconstruction duh, 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 duh. also just i think misses the point because it seems to yeah. me that the and this is why i use the word rethinking um in the in the you know name of the podcast and also re is in parentheses implying that mm-hmm. it keeps happening um this is just a part of the spiritual journey is asking questions and having things broken for you and not having answers and having to lean into darkness and, you know, the dark night of the soul is something that mystics have been talking about forever Um, and all these different things. So it's not like deconstruction is like this new fad, Mm -hmm. but rather it's (laughs) like this thing that's been going on since forever is a key part of spiritual growth and development. And like all the gatekeepers are telling people not to do it. And what's sad to me about that is all those gatekeepers, they're not going to ever get experience that either instead yeah. they just have to like repress their doubt which is what i think all of certainty is is just repressed doubt so mm-hmm. they just like repress that doubt and they live in this tiny little box and it makes me sad
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: and so hopefully we can invite yeah. them into that and, and be like no look like i promise it'll be okay i promise
1: <laughs> and, and it's not it's not rational it's it's not you know our paradigms you know our lens on life it's it's not reason are, are not reason based we'd like to think we're rational creatures but they're primal in terms of our, our core instinctual need for belonging, for safety, for a sense of autonomy and power and identity. And so you, you can talk to people that, you know, we'll tell you're blue in the face. But the reality is, I, I know for me, for years, what kept me in that system was belonging, that these were my people, they love me and, and the cost of saying i no longer held to these theological positions there was a reason that i when i was in seminary that i never researched really researched ordination of women because i knew that if i fell on the theological side that they should be ordained then i would lose my community and i would lose my trajectory of my career and so so I chose not to give that the intellectual fair shake at the time because the cost was too high. And later, when I had this deeper sense, where my 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 need for internal integrity transcended my need for inclusion, finally, once, once that point happened, where it was more important for me to be myself than it was for me to belong, then I could actually ask the questions. And, and that's when I experienced that shift. But I think that's why people, the gatekeepers, because it's their community, it's their identity, it's their security, it's all of these pieces... And until kind of there's these internal rumblings and bumblings uh, that reach a fevered pitch enough to where internally it transcends anything externally, defining those instinctual longings, we will stay small, we'll stay stuck, we'll stay in that system. Um, And then, but then sometimes there's just so much incongruence we can't handle anymore. And then we begin to have the courage to ask the questions. And that's when we have other people like hearted pilgrims that are walking the same path can come and take our hands and be like, totally, I get it. I'm with you. Or I remember asking this question, or have you ever thought of this one? And that gives us the courage to really, I think, expand into our potential as human beings.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think, I mean, I think the belonging thing is huge just from personal experience, um, And cause like the cost is high, like, like you said, I mean, I, and I know, (laughs) you know, this, you shared this in your story. Um, But for me, there was like very practical costs of um, like, stop, you know, stopping from being a pastor and things like that. Um, uh, Like money (laughs) for one, like money. I was making a really good salary and um, Mm. I'm not even making anywhere close to that right now. And it's been like a difficult year and a half, almost two years now um for my wife and I financially just because uh, you know I lost that salary, I lost all my benefits, I lost like all of that. um that community like there's people who you know basically pray pray for my uh eternal salvation every day. <laughs> <laughs> you lose, lose stuff like that um, but yeah so that it is it is scary um and I understand uh why people want to hold on to things. I get it. Like, I don't want to um, belittle them because um, I was there too. But then also too, like from my perspective now, you can start to see though that that um, that certainty or that like holding on to that particular um, system of belief or faith or whatever, uh, that particular theology, that understanding of God was um, idolatry because Mm -hmm. I was worshiping my thoughts and my ideas Um, Mm -hmm. and they're not, they're not God.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's just my Mm -hmm. thought
0: and my idea of God. And so clinging to that system um, Mm -hmm. was actually the opposite of faith. It was a lack of faith Mm -hmm. and that's why I was clinging to it. And so Mm -hmm. opening yourself up to uncertainty and doubt and not knowing is very very scary and difficult but also at the same time i think at least in my experience that's where faith is cultivated um Mm. i think that's what faith is (laughs) yeah uh so i
1: don't know I, i love that distinction i i think that's gorgeous in terms of you know moving away from this very aristotelian western concept of faith which is what's your doctrinal uh, uh creedal stance you know what what's your system of doctrine and here are the points that we believe and you define your community by your belief system Um, anyway, not, not to plug Episcopalians, but at least one thing I really, I really appreciate about the Episcopal church is that it's a very big umbrella theologically, but they call themselves the people of the book. And by the book, they don't mean the Bible. They mean the book of common prayer, which is they define themselves by creating worship communities that we worship together. And if there is the closest thing to a creed would be the Nicene creed, you know, in terms of the Episcopal church, which is early, early, but it's about creating space for worship and trusting that the divine will meet each person as they need to be met in that space versus Here's our doctrinal creed of who's in, who's out. And I think for me, certainly the idea of trusting God enough to let go uh, of my death grip on these certain belief structures that I need to believe in order to be accepted or a part of community and trusting that God would hold me and open to mystery and open to the unknown and open to doubt. You're right. That requires a whole lot more trust, a whole lot more trust in the divine.
0: Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And that, I mean, that's just been, that's just been my experience. Like, I think mm. that's just what I have found. Banksy, Sorry. My cat is biting my ankles. Um <laughs> That's just what I have found to be, to be true. Just experientially, but it's scary and it's hard to explain to people. Um, but like it, yeah, I don't know. That seems, but now I, like I can't see it any other way. Like I said, so yeah. I don't know.
1: Um, you need to write, you need to write that shit down, man. That's some good stuff.
0: (laughs) I'm I'm working on it, but I have this thing called low self-confidence. Um, (laughs) so, uh, but yeah, that I'm working on it. (laughs) I guess Greg, like just, um, so we can like start to wrap, wrap things up here, I guess like moving forward, uh, with rethinking faith, like what, I don't know. Like, do you just want to like talk about for a few minutes, like what we're excited about or like what we yeah. are like hopeful for, um, like what we want to see happen? Like, I don't know. I have some big yeah. You you since you've future, been the I don't know. Yeah. Where,
1: where, where are you going? I mean, I, I, we've talked about this some too, but I'm curious, where, where, where are you most drawn magnetically?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, so I'm excited to be podcasting again. I think that's um, that's huge. But I kind of I want like, I almost want Rethinking Faith to become more than just like a podcast. Like, hmm. that would be really cool. I don't know what that means or what that looks like. Um, but I know I like helping people and interacting with people. Um, it, I You know, there's all these like, cool, like, conferences and stuff out there that people do. So like, I've wondered, like, Oh, what could like a Rethinking Faith conference look like? Um, you know, invite like, yeah listeners together and like have some cool, like some of our friends, you know, come in mm. and speak or, um, stuff like that. Yeah. Or like, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like I want to, um, podcasts are cool cause we have like you and I can have conversations and then other people listen to it. But like part of me wants that relational connection with listeners as well. And so trying yeah. to figure out a way to cultivate that, yeah like I, I want to do that. <laughs> I don't <Yeah>. know. <laughs> that excites nice. me I'm, I'm drawn to that yeah
1: yeah that is thrilling that's that's exciting and that connection uh i know for me in, in terms of the 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 larger conversations that i think are really meaningful to me i i think in the west again we've talked about in, in the west we're, we're so aristotelian uh we're so logic based we're so head centric uh, that it's easy. I mean, even even if you're a very emotional person like me, I'm a deep feeler. But if if you've been raised in the West, then you are going to be head centric. You can't avoid it because it's the fish tank we've been raised in, and we've been kind of taught that the head is this like priceless Stradivarius violin, uh, but that like the the heart and the body are like kazoo's. You know, they're just kind of like these cheap wah wah instruments that our body's mainly there to carry around our precious head. And I think that there is so much brilliance in the mind, but there's also so much brilliance in the heart and there's so much brilliance in the body. And it has been so neglected in the West that I think creating sacred space to explore what it means to have an embodied spirituality that is actually respecting and cultivating a vibrancy of the heart, a vibrancy of the body, and a vibrancy of the mind, that's where we experience that that fullness of life. That's where experience uh that that richer uh transformation so and that's really missing in the west and i mean i can't tell you i mean i've been to so many conferences with so many clergy and so many uh leaders and almost every single one of them, and, and I'll ask them, I'll, I'll overtly go and ask i take these informal surveys of, you know, why are you here? And after they go through, the well, I'm hoping to get some, you know, tools that I can bring back to my people. They say, I'm here because I'm burnt out. I am burnt the fuck out. And I'm looking for something just that maybe just refills the tanks, a whisper. And I think that people, we in the West don't know how to cultivate that vibrant inner journey. And it's not our fault. We just haven't been taught it. And, and I think what would it be like for us to invite thinkers and embodiment gurus, you know, that are from across the spectrum that could help lead, guide, shape, explore the space of what does it mean to authentically create an awakened mind, heart, and body in a way that leads to this fullness of life that Jesus taught and embodied. Yeah. That's kind of excites me. And you've already been doing I'm that. Here for you've it. been doing that. <laughs> yeah, you you've been doing that, but I think almost just kind of maybe almost nesting it in that framework to proactively bring in some folks to have conversations with that might be interesting as as we continue to walk it out ourselves.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think that that like vision and longing that you just articulated is something that like I was trying to do with rethinking faith, but like I needed somebody with you know, like more wisdom and experience in that realm, and I was like, "Well, Greg would be the perfect guy to, to hang out with because I think uh, <laughs> <That's kind. laughs> together That's kind. together we could have fun and uh, you know try to cultivate that environment, like at least be on the same wavelength, you know, um, yeah, yeah, and like right. seek that out and and try to do that." So I'm ex- I'm excited for that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think too. Like one fun thing that we've we've thrown around, I'll just mention it just as like a teaser is that like, I don't know if people know, but like technically there is a Patreon page for this podcast, but it's not very Mm -hmm. active. Like I don't do shit with it. Um, (laughs) I was not very good at like actually cultivating a Patreon community or like anything like that. Um, but like one thing that would be fun is these like, uh, so for example, my buddy, Dan, who does, you have permission has his like Patreon exclusive feed where he has like, um, Tony Jones as like a recurring guest like they him and josh gilbert the guy that like edits the podcast um they like have these like just like recurring conversations about stuff um Hmm. and i really like that and i thought it would be fun to actually create something like that where we could have some like more offline less public conversations for people i know it'd be you know quote-unquote behind a paywall which is um annoying but like dude like you know like a dollar you know a dollar a month or something let's listen to our our stuff for five bucks whatever but um i have a guest in mind that you know who it is uh and i know who it Mm -hmm. is and Mm -hmm. i've talked to them and they are interested i don't want to throw it out there yet because um, (laughs)
1: it's a good guest it's a good guest it's a good name.
0: (laughs) it'll be it'll be a ton of fun but uh they are in the middle of a a a decent sized life shift right now, and they just need to kind of like get settled. And um yeah. once they get settled, uh, they've already agreed to to give it a go and see what happens. Um right on. that's yes, very exciting. It is exciting, and I'll, all I'll say is that's another podcaster um whose podcast I love and respect, and um we'll share uh, those episodes. Hopefully, this is what we talked about, uh like on our Patreon exclusive feed, but also on their Patreon exclusive feed. So it'll be like a uh, double feature, you know, nice, pretty cool. Nice. And I think that could be a lot of fun. Um, Yep. Bringing three unique personalities together. Hey. Don't spill my shit everywhere. my water. <laughs> Podcasting you, live. It's <laughs> dangerous,
1: man. Podcasting live. It's, it, if you can see what I'm seeing, there's a lot of cat action happening on Josh's stream.
0: There is. It's yeah. rather obnoxious. Banks, I try to put him in a different <laughs> room, but apparently he was being naughty. So no, I'll put him back in here, but that won't be a normal thing. <laughs> uh, but now there's just fucking water everywhere. Thanks, dude. <laughs> have to clean that up at some point um yeah i don't know i mean i guess we can with that we can <laughs> kind of wrap up at least this initial uh you know relaunch of rethinking faith which is fantastic i've had a blast um this is like hey, man, great any to thoughts or anything you, as always that like you want to say before we shut down
1: yeah well i just want to say i mean first of all to be asked i mean it's, it's, it sounds so canned but like it's such an honor but like it is such an honor like it is a ridiculous honor um and it it means the world to me it's exciting that i've got a lot of energy for it i feel like again uh we're surfing the same wave and we have been for a long time and so i just think for this season to be able to be a part of uh this podcast the season of life to be a part of this podcast i'm really thrilled to see what evolves and unfolds and i think we're going to have a blast and I also think it's really hopefully going to be meaningful and helpful for not just for us, but for other people too. But I'm grateful that you asked and I'm really excited to, and as you're describing, uh, as we continue to grow and evolve, really connect with uh, the folks that listen to.
0: Yeah. I'm here for it, man. I'm excited. Um, mm-hmm. I have, I feel like I have more excitement and energy around doing this podcast than I have in a long time, mm-hmm. uh, which nice. is cool. Cause I, and I, cause I love doing it. So now it's mm-hmm. like, I don't know I just I I I feel like rethinking faith could um be something special and so I just want to keep pushing it in in that direction and um I don't know I just try to again it sounds trite but like try to just help as many people uh as we can by inviting them into our journey you know and um going from there so I'm excited yeah man
1: me too me too
0: good deal All right, man. Well, listeners, uh, thanks for listening and get hyped because we have all sorts of fun stuff coming your way soon, Um, including... Well, I'll just... I'll say this one thing and then we'll sign off because there's water pouring all over my desk. Um, But I'm excited because uh, there's this thing, Theology Beer Camp, um, that Trip Fuller puts on. Uh, He's the host of the Homebrewed Christianity podcast. Um, Another person who has recently become a good friend. And it's, he's calling it the God pod edition. He's going to have different podcasts there and uh, rethinking faith, um, is one of those podcasts. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Theologybeer.camp is the website. Uh, if you want to be cool and, and come hang out with a lot of people that are way cooler than us. Um, yeah. It'll be fun. <laughs> way,
1: way cooler. Josh, you're way cooler than I am. So yeah, I'm really at the bottom of the barrel. I'm glad just. To, I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> <I
0: know. laughs> oh shoot. Well, good deal, uh, listeners. Thank you so much uh, for listening and hanging out. Uh, we're excited, and we have more stuff coming your way soon. Peace and love, guys.